Father God, we're thankful for this opportunity to explore what it means to be good stewards of your resources. So we just ask that you would guide us with your spirit and with your wisdom to be an effective serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our topic today is early years. Well, we'll do that. Early years avoiding financial enslavement. But last time we talked a little bit um, about three. This, go ahead. Go yeah, this is yesterday. Um, I didn't put down all the points, but just some of the highlights. God owns it all. We need to learn to trust him because everything belongs to him anyway, right? We're his stewards. That's an important job. I don't know if this is... And then um, our purpose is to glorify God. And one of our responsibilities is to care for our families. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about that in the next few days as well. So we're talking a little bit about the early years. We laid the principle last time, foundational principles. But in the early years, you got things that are having to be decided. And you have to decide, am I going to accept debt or am I going to try and do it with cash? What am I going to do? Uh, a car. That's one thing that's, that's going to be one of the things that you're going to need to make a decision about. And some of the other ones is going to be, you're going to get married at some point. How are you going to finance to do that, debt or, or finance? Uh, eventually, house. you got education, whether it's trade school or college education. or Some of those things all make... Test your metal as to which way you're going to go. So this morning, we'll, we'll look at some of them. We'll ask ourselves, how's America doing? And do we want to be the average American, or do we want to follow some biblical principles as we go? So we look at cars. Uh, one thing's for sure, a car is a depreciating asset. In other words, when you drive it off the lot, it's about 20% less value than when you, when you bought it. That's just if it's a brand new car. If it's brand new car. And when I looked at uh, some reports, they said as of June of 2019, I think that's the month we're in, right? So this is hot off the press. Average new vehicle loan hit a record debt. Of, uh, average vehicle loan is around, for new, is $32,000. That's pretty That's not the cost of the car, that's the cost of the loan. Yeah, so the car might even be more. They might have put some cash down, but the, just the loan itself is around 32000 Average used vehicle hit a loan record high as well, $20,000 for a used vehicle, $20,000. Lease uh, averages ran around $430 a month compared to new, $554 and used, $391. You can see that it's quite a bit of money. So what about some of the other things that we have? Um, Student loans. 2017 reports that the average student debt was $28,650. After coming out of school, two years or four years, that's the average debt. It's quite a bit. So that can create a lot of problems because our goal is to come out debt-free as much as possible so that we can be free to serve God wherever he takes us. And we'll share a little bit of why that was important in our experience. What about a wedding? Well, wedding costs on average... The, the average cost was $33,391 as of last year, 2018. But the median cost is a little less than that, 20000 So you know there's a lot of high-end weddings that have pushed that average up quite a bit. And but the average, the, the median cost is $20,000 for a wedding. Think about what you could do with that. So uh, this is the class where I really wish we had young people because this is what you need to start thinking about before you get there. You know, are you going to spend all your money on a one-day event? <laughs> or can you, you know, find some ways of doing it less expensively and using some of that money 
towards the down payment of a house. I yeah. mean, that's the down payment of a house right there. So, so in our experience, we actually were pretty thrifty with how we got married. And you know, you can be thrifty. You got your church family who would donate their labor, and you can do a really super great wedding at a lower price. And because we were so thrifty on that, we were able to take the other money and we were able to make a down payment on a house. And so our house came out of escrow just a day or a few days before we got married. So we moved all of our stuff in and when we went on our honeymoon, we came back to our house. It was our house. We were making payments on it. That was a nice blessing. So you have to make a choice. You can have a super elaborate wedding and you might be renting a, part, you know, a house or something. Or sometimes, you could, sometimes you're in a position where you can make a simpler wedding, but you can make a long-term investment that will save you thousands and thousands of dollars down the course of time. Okay, um, we're going to be talking a lot about children tomorrow, so that's um, in this phase of your life, that's something that you're going to be thinking about, but we'll deal with that tomorrow. Um, insurance is something that people start thinking about. Um, a lot of insurances are required by law, but you have to figure out how much you want, what kind you want. Buying a house is a decision you're going to be making. Um, That's the biggest uh, investment you'll probably make. The average house in Michigan is listed at $187,000 as of April this year. It doesn't sell that high, though. It sells average median price that it's sold is $152,000. It's still a lot of money. Still a lot of money. So it's usually the single, lar single largest debt that we're going to pick up if, we're, you know, if we have to pick up that debt. So, you know, there's... A, there's a lot of times people buy the house that they're going to want to have in 10 years instead of buying what you need now. And you're way better off to buy what you need now knowing that maybe you'll be moving if you need to. But to buy for the future just puts yourself in an enormous amount of debt that you really don't need. And, you know, you think about the sizes of a starter home now versus the, the size of a starter home 50 years ago. There's a big difference in the sizes. And we, in, as a society, everything is supersized. And be, along with that comes supersized deaths. So we don't really want to go there. Oh. Um, anything else on the house? Okay. Um, there's one other thing that we have on here, and that's establishing a will. And you don't usually think about a will on the first stage of your life and your marriage life, but that's really what's something that you need to start thinking. First thing off, is a will, and I, I remember, it, was, it wasn't last night, it was the night before that Jean was talking about in the evening meeting how you all have a will whether you know it or not. If you die without a will, the state is, decides, and that's your will. So do you really want the state deciding what's going to happen with your things or with your children? That is just not someplace that you want to go. So... Um, it doesn't matter how young you are. And a lot of people say, well, I don't have that much. It really doesn't matter. You, you'd be surprised. And if you're, not, if you're not thinking ahead, it also drags it out for your family, and it puts it through a lot of chaos that you just, if you just make a simple will, it prevents a lot of problems. So even at this stage in your life, which is really early on, start thinking about a will. One little story that I heard uh, a year or so ago was from an attorney that the conference was in Grand Rapids. Somebody had not made a will for their children in case she should die. And what do you know? They ended up deceasing. And they had uh, verbalized they would like their kids to go to one of their Adventist relatives should they die. But in the courts, that got changed and they ended up going to homes of non-Adventists. So non-Adventist relatives were raising their kids. 
and that was not in harmony with their wishes. But they never made it legal, so the courts made the decision for them, not in the best decision way. One other thing real quick, just an example of, if you're determined to not go into debt on a lot of the stuff, you can do that successfully. For example, uh, Robert Morris in his book, he talks about if you only have $550, go out and buy a $550 car. Drive it for one year, save all you can during that year, at the end of the year sell the $550 car, and then go out and buy the car at the next level. And every year just keep flipping it until you get to the level of comfort in the car that you want that will last you. That will save you a lot of money, but it does take a little sacrifice. A little time. It does. And one, one other, I got to tell one other one too. My brother has a sports car. He wanted my daughter to have it. She was in college, and uh, it was a nice sports car. He was going to give it to her. And uh, it's like, you know what? Let me think about it, brother. I already knew the answer. The next day, I said, "Yeah, I thank you so much for your kindness and your thoughts." But in the back of my mind, there's increased insurance. Decreased motivation to get that college degree. If you got all the nice toys now, there's no reason to sacrifice. But if you have a college car and you live with simplicity, knowing that as you get through and get that degree, you'll get a payout on the end of the, of the experience. Um, so we said no because she needed to learn how to continue to work and apply herself to her schooling. And then, and besides, in due time. She, uh, she honestly could not afford the insurance on that car. There's yeah. just no way. The car was just way too nice. And it's like, you know, it's a nice car, but we can't afford it. <laughs> Not going to go in debt for insurance for a car. So Money Magazine kind of gave an overall average debt. That includes house debt, that includes student loans, and credit card loans, all that loan debt. So under age 35, 67400 is the average loan that people carry. Average debt. Average debt. And uh, 35 to 44, you can see it jumps up from 100 to 135, right? So in the under 35, that includes school debt loans, obviously. But now you're probably starting to pick up a household debt. Children are being born, and marriages are taking place, and so forth. In the 45 to 54, you can see it's down a little bit. They're paying it down. But you can notice a disturbing trend. Even all the way down to 65 to 74, $66,000 still in debt on average. That's the time when you're retiring. 75 and up, 34,500 is the average debt for those that are 75 and older. And That's you, and, not and a time. When you're in, retired, you're not, you know, you're on a fixed income, and sometimes that kind of debt is a is just a weight that's it's can drag you down. So our goal is to be free to serve God, but if you've got a $35,000 loan, you may be retired. And so now you're trying to make things work instead of being able to volunteer, for example, with Strong Tower Radio or other worthy enterprises. You can't because you've got to make a little income to pay down the remaining debt. So you can see that Americans are driven by debt. And one of the things they said about with those increased debts on buying vehicles, um, actually they said 35 to 44-year-olds, 44% are taking out loans to buy cars. Um, so one thing they said that is very apparent that Americans are getting more and more comfortable financing their debt, you know, in buying cars. They're more, much more comfortable than they used to be of, of financing it through debt. Okay. Is this per year? What's that? No, this is what they, uh, this no. is how much they owe. This is their debt load. Yep. Okay, so we got some quotes. Go ahead. All right. Do you get it? Okay. okay. Yes. Good. So this is John C. Maxwell. There you go. You got there. I love this. Listen to this. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. That makes a lot of sense. 
Uh, one other person who does stuff with finances says, make your money behave. You need to make your money behave. So it's all along the same lines. Uh, Zig Ziglar, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time, right? If you get a bunch of money and you have no goals and no way of holding that money accountable, um, at the end of that time, you might have nothing to show for it. Nothing at all. Robert Morris, contrary to what the bumper sticker says, it's not he who dies with the most toys wins. And there's a, because we have a materialism mindset, um, our culture's kind of, our culture's kind of um, in love with materialistic toys. And so a lot of times we build the third garage, you know, like there's a two stall. Now they say that they're moving up to three stalls because we have so much clutter in our garage. We need more. Yeah, so. <laughs> That's another thing that's going on. <clears throat> Scripture has some words here. We'll read two texts. Proverbs 21.5 The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. And uh, my uncle, he, they were building a house and they discovered some, something like fool's gold. And somebody said, you know, why don't we dig down the mine? So they spent $10,000 down there and of course they found nothing and they were gone ten thousand bucks just like that he thought well it's no big deal we'll just invest it and see what happens maybe we'll strike it rich but that's not really the diligence that we're talking about here that is speculation and surely it leads to poverty and actually in the end of their life they were in poverty so ephesians 4 28 labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give to him who has need so there's a part that says, you know, what I work with my hands, it's not all for me. I need to think about someone who might have need. Even in the Hebrew economy, after they went through and they did the harvest, the corners, if they didn't get them, they just left them for whoever was poor. They could go and take that. Any bundles that fell off when they were doing the shocks of wheat, that was left for the poor. Uh, they didn't go over the second time as they were bringing in the olives and whatever else kind of fruit they had. That was for the poor to get. And in our budgeting, we need to have an equivalent, equivalent margin where we have something to give to him that is in need. That's what this text is about. So it's not all about us. You know, it meets our needs, but there's another part that says we need to have something laid aside for somebody who is in need when that shows up. So there's a couple quotes here on getting and staying out okay. of debt. So before we get to the quote... Um, this is one of the first things that we learned when we got married. I'm so glad that we learned it really early on. And I just, that's why I would love to have young people learn this early on. Um, in the Bible, God set up a system. And the Israelites were able to get into debt. But for how long? Do you remember they called it? Yeah, the Jubilee. But even before that, there was a seven-year cycle. And every seven years, the debts were supposed to be erased. And in the Jubilee year, all the land, in addition, went back to the original owner. But they were only ever allowed to get into debt for seven years. Their <laughs> whole system was based on that. And so if you put in your mind, you know, when you go into the bank, they'll give you a loan for how long? And even a car loan now. You know, it used to be a few years for a car loan, but now you can finance a car loan for... Five to six years. Yeah. A, it was more than that. Like Ten seven. to fifteen years, you can... This just was like ridiculous <laughs> so you can finance it for a long time but if you figure out and we're going to be talking about budgeting you sit down and you figure out how much you can afford 
in debt if you were going to pay it off in seven years. Don't take the figure that the bank gives you. They're always going to just get you into as much debt as they can. You figure out how much you can afford. So, you know, think seven years. Figure out how long it's going to take you to repay it in seven years and figure out if you can afford it. And that makes a huge difference in what you decide to purchase and how deeply you decide to go into debt. And he has a quote. This is from um, Adventist Home. It's very good. Be determined never to incur another debt. Deny yourself a thousand things rather than run in debt. This has been the curse of your life, getting into debt. Avoid it as you would the smallpox. So that's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful quote. There's another one. And it says, oh, same one, second paragraph. Make a solemn covenant with God that by his blessing you will pay your debts and then owe no man anything if you live on porridge and bread. That's pretty basic, isn't it? It is so easy in preparing your table to throw out your pocket 25 cents for extras. Take care of the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. Well, you could say, yeah, take care of the dollars and the hundreds will take care of themselves. <laughs> it is the mites here and the mites there that are spent for this, that, and the other that soon run it up into dollars. Deny self at least while you are walled in with debts. Do not falter, be discouraged, or turn back. Deny your taste, deny the indulgence of appetite. Save your pence and pay your debts. Work them off as fast as possible. It kind of reminds me of the counsel that they gave to somebody who did a co-signing in the book of Proverbs. Don't let rest come to your eyes until you are able to get that reversed. And, uh, of course, there's a, a famous uh, writer on finances who's talked about having gazelle intensity, you know, between the gazelle and the lion. You know, so you want to run away from debt. Just think of the debt being like the lion. So, you know, she's pretty clear on this, isn't she? Very, very clear. Um, avoid debt like you would the smallpox. How many of you would love to have smallpox? What would you do to keep smallpox out of your house? You'd go to any, any length, wouldn't you? So we want to do that with debt. Sorry. Um, so when we talk about going to any length, I'm going to say a bad word. <laughs> oh, before we get to that, um, yeah. So sometimes people say, how can you live on one income? <laughs> and I know that in society now today, everyone feels like it, it, you have to have two incomes to make it work. And um, if you are deep into debt, yeah, you probably do. <laughs> but if you don't have a lot of debt, you don't need to do that. And I, you know, we're a living example. We live on a pastor's salary. I don't work um, for pay. I work plenty. <laughs> but I don't work for pay. We have three kids. We've put them through Christian education, debt-free. And, you know, if you sit down and look at it, it doesn't make sense. But God is faithful. And he always provides. And when you make a determined decision in your mind that you are not going to go into debt, he will reward that and he will be faithful. Now, sometimes it's easy to say, well, you know, it's, a, it's okay. Now, I'm not saying we did go into debt for our house, but we did pay it off in seven years. So I'm not saying never any debt, 
But you have to determine in your mind that that is something that you are not going to do and you're going to find every possible way around it. And sometimes it requires humility. It requires accepting help from other people. And I know that there are people who absolutely will not ask for help because they're so proud. And God is, they're denying other people a blessing because it is blessed to give. It's more blessed to give than receive. And when we don't allow other people to help, we're denying them the opportunity to be a blessing. So um, we're going to talk more about that tomorrow when we talk about schooling and expenses. Um, but one of the ways that we found, and this is something I learned in college before I ever met my husband, um, I took a finance class in college, which was the best class I took in my entire college experience. And the teacher said, if you plan on living on one income, then you start off your marriage life on one income. And if both of you are working, you live on one income. Because if you, wanna, if you want the mom to stay at home with the kids, but you've gotten used to living on two incomes, when the kids come, you're going to feel like you can't do it. So if you choose right off the bat, as soon as you get married, to live on one income. And then the other income goes towards paying off that house. You know, and, and that what I made when we got married, everything I made went on to our house. And that's how we could get it paid off in seven years. So then when the kids came along, when I, when I stopped working, we didn't feel a difference at all. It didn't hurt because we'd been living on one income all the way along. So that's my probably my biggest tip. It definitely took uh, discipline because when you get out of PT school and you get out of nursing and you're making a lot of money combined, um, when we took all of our nursing money and put it over on the house, we also had to practice, even at that point, learning how to save on my PT salary because when her income is gone, we still have to do savings on one income. So that was kind of tough because, you know, after you work hard, you want to play a little bit. <laughs> so you had to kind of rein it back in a little bit and realize what is your financial goals? What is God calling you to do? And then stay in the course. And, you know, that requires just, you know, not going out to eat every night. Or at least, you know, I think we would go out to eat maybe once a month or once every other month. We just didn't do it. it you know, that's just money out the door. And you just have to find all the little leaks and plug them. And there's lots of little leaks. You know, Ellen White's thing said the nickel and dime, just the little things, and you just have to plug them. So it is possible. And I want to, I want to encourage any young people. Um, I, I've had people talk to me and say, you know, I don't think I could do it. And I said, yes, you can do it. It was actually a pastor's wife, a new pastor's wife. She says, I don't think we can do it. She says, I haven't, you know, I said, we did it. And she just was like shocked. Really? I said, yep. We lived on one salary and we were able to do it. And God blessed. And it wasn't, you know, just on that, but he found other ways to bless us. Like we talked about yesterday, he rebuked the devourer. Things that we had lasted for a lot longer. And, and um, we had family who chose to be generous. And, and, you know, I don't know what way God has to provide for you, but he's got a thousand ways, and he will make it work. You know, I know some of you are probably saying, yeah, but you're just talking from faith side. But even secular science, there are people who have written about that it is actually very affordable for to live on one salary because of the way the tax laws are. So, and there are some highly respected people teaching at Harvard University. Um, because when you think about it, when you work, you've got, you have to have an, another car, which means more insurance, which means more gas. You have to have a professional wardrobe. 
you have to pay for childcare, your taxes go up, and when you start adding all of that up, you find that you're really not making that much. Most of what you're making is going right back out the door again. Okay, so the most part of today is we're wanting to talk about budgeting and, and, and spending plans. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. How many of you have a budget? Okay. How many of you actually live on a budget? There's a difference. <laughs> okay. So for those of you who don't have a budget, we're going to talk a little bit about how to make a budget and how to live on a budget. And I'm going to get a little bit nitty-gritty on here. Um, because I want to show you that it's not that hard. Um, sometimes it's a little bit in, in, intimidating and daunting and you think, oh, we can't do this, but you really can. Um, so, excuse me for a minute while I take you to the internet. And I'm going to just show you how easy it is. This is one of the web pages that I, I have actually in your handout today. And if you go to compass1.org, uh, it should be on the back of your handout if you didn't get, there's handouts right there, I'm sorry, as you came in the door. If you didn't grab one, oh, Bob, you want to pass them? Oh, okay. So now, there are a lot of different websites that do this. So I, I, I'm not going to show you, there's two or three others that I looked at, but I don't want to overwhelm you with too much. So I'm just going to one website. This happens to be my favorite. But there are a lot of other websites that you can get this from. So on, on Compass here, oh, this is halfway off the screen. Oh, well, I think you can see it. Okay. So under resources right here, I'm down here under spending plans and budgets. Now, this is going to just be a really simple one. They have budgets and spending plans that you can spend lots of money on if you want. But we're trying to save money, right? So I'm showing you a free way of doing it. Okay, um, we're going to talk later about a little bit about debt. So if you're in debt, this is a place you're going to want to go right here because there's resources for helping you get out of debt. If we have time at the end, we'll share that as well. Okay, so spending plans and budgets. You go here. And the first thing is a 30-day tracking tool. How am I doing on time? You're going to you're gonna have to rein me in. Um, in order to make a budget, you kind of have to have an idea of where you're at. So really, before you sit down and try and make out a budget, I would suggest you spend one month just actually tracking your expenses. So you have an idea how much I really am spending on groceries or how much I... And it's, it's going to be a really rough estimate because one month does not equal a year or anywhere close to because... And we'll talk about that later. So right down here, it says download the 30-day tracking tool. Well, I've already done it. So I'm going to show it to you here. Um, here's recording income and spending. And it actually goes through and it tells you how to do it. So every time you receive income, record the amount. And you're going to do this in a 30-day diary. Every time you spend, it doesn't matter if you spend it with a credit card, if you spend with a check, if you spend with a debit card, every time you spend, record it. Now there's apps and you can do this on your phone really easy. And I might have time to show you some of those too, but I'm, I'm talking the simple, simple way. Just record it down. And then list what category it's under. So um, this is a sample. It's just showing you. So on the first of the month, there was an income of $2,100. I wish I had a pointer. You see right there? 
They made a donation of $100, taxes was $350, um, they invested $100, and they spent $23 on auto and transportation, probably a gas fill-up. They didn't spend anything on the second of the month. On the third of the month, they spent $30 on utilities. So they're writing all of this down. And you can just see as they're going through the month how they're writing things down. Now, on the 15th of the month, they subtotaled it. But I'm going to show you the, the, what they actually have does it all for you. So you don't have to do the adding. I, when we first started, I had a, a, a ledger that I did when we first started marrying. I put everything down. I added everything by hand. Now with, with Excel and all that, it's so easy. So anyway, you get down to the end of 30 days. And then they transfer it into the different categories. But I'm going to just take you right now to the actual tracking. So let's say, um, so on the fifth of the month, I spent, let's say, the $30 on, on utilities. And, and uh, went grocery shopping and spent $45. And uh, let's see, what else is there? Oh, here we go. Transportation. You spend $30 for a fill-up. And so anyway, you just add all, you know, you just keep putting them in. As, as you see, down on the bottom, it's adding it all up for me. Okay? And then it... Um, when you're done with your 30 days, you're going to have an idea of how much each month you spend in each category. Okay, so that's, that's really what you're needing to start with. Then from there, you're going to go, so I'm right here on the, the plan tracker. Then I'm going to go over here to the compass spending plan, and this is your actual, this is a budget, but they call it spending plan because nobody likes the term budget, right? So then you figure out, you know, what's my monthly salary? I don't know. Let's just say 30000 Oh, monthly. Sorry, 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 sorry. You're right. Sorry. <laughs> 3500 Is that? You want 35 No, let's just do 30000 I want I'm going to do What? How much? What do you, what do you like? No, per, per month. How, okay, realistically. What's per month? 3000 3500 Huh? $3,000. let us let us keep it easy. Oops. All right, let's say you got investments, which we don't have, dividends. These are all things that would be coming in. Cash gifts, child support, alimony. Okay, we're just going to say 3000 Now, I'm going to go, all right. And the thing that I really, and that's why I like Compass, is because they actually give you a guideline. Your, your category should be around this percent. Now, um, I think they're way low on 12%. But you can tell they're over 10%, so they do believe in tithes and offerings. Um, tomorrow, I'm going to tell you how I did it with my kids. But um, for us, I don't know, has it been since we got married or pretty close after, we decided we were going to double tithe. And so we do 10% tithes and we do 10% offerings. And then as the Lord kept blessing, and he just kept blessing, we've gotten it up to 30% now. We do 10% tithes, 10% offerings, and then we do 10%, just like he talked about the edges of the fields. So that third tithe, we get to spend however we want on whatever projects we want. And if there's somebody who's doing a mission trip, we can spend it on that. Or if there's someone who needs help going to school, we can. It is that last 10% is so much fun. It is just a great time. Okay, so anyway, we, they made thirty thousand dollars. So let's put down here. Um, this would be tithe. I'm gonna. Well, 
they don't have a tithe, but we're going to put um, $300, and then let's do ministries. I'm going to just put down 20% here, just because that's what we do. So tithes and offerings. And then let's go down taxes. Oh, federal taxes. Let's say you're at $30,000, you are probably in the, what, 15% tax bracket? So what's 15%? 300 and 450. Let's say federal. I'm just going to say 450. I'm going to lump all those together. You can get your paycheck out and see what it actually is. So emergency savings. Every month you should be putting away something into savings. You need that buffer. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But um, let's put down... You know, even 100, if you can't do 100, if you really are so close to the line that you can't do 100, at least do 10. You know, just start getting in the habit. And if you have automatic payroll deductions, that's the best way to do it. If you can do it before you ever see your paycheck, it's, it seems to be less painful. <laughs> you know, just get them automatically, or you can do it in your bank account. You know, you, it can automatically go from savings into, um, from checking into savings. Your, all of your banks will do that. An automatic every month just put some money into savings. All right. Um, now, you have bought that $550 car and you're driving a total jalopy, but you don't have any auto payments. So good for you. You're out of debt. Let's say gas, you're, you're spending $150 a month in gas. Who knows? I'm just putting figures in here. We're going to see how it looks when we're done. Okay, bills, utilities. Let's put another um, credit card debt payments. Oh, man. Hopefully you don't have that. If you do, put it in that line. But we're, right now we're trying to go debt-free. So electricity, we're going to do $100 a month. Um, phone, we're going to do $50 a month. And we're really cutting it close. So we're not going to spend for cable or satellite or Internet because that's an expense that I can shave out of my budget, so I'm going to shave it out because I'm trying to live on $3,000 a month. Okay, I don't have any kids right now, so I'm not going to have to worry about that. Entertainment. This is a nice one to have to give yourself, give yourself a little bit of fun, but if you don't have it, don't spend it. Um, groceries. How many are in our family? Two? Uh, let's say... 300 a month. Oh, 200 a month? Yeah, I don't think we're going to be living for that. Okay, health. Here, if, you're, if, you're, um, if your employer has a health plan, you still have to pay something, don't you? So whatever you have to pay per month anyway, and then in addition to that, you're having deductibles and you're having co-pays. Um, this is one, and I'll go back up on the other one. Let's say that you know that you have a deductible of... $1,000, let's just say. So I'm going to take a $1,000 deductible, and I'm going to divide it by, oh, let's say $1,200 deductible. And I'm going to divide it by 12 months, so every month I should be putting away $100 for medical. Because if I get, to, and, I, and if I use up all of my deductible, I need to have the money come from somewhere, don't I? So I know that my employer is going to expect me to pay the first $1,200. I better plan for it. So let's put down 120 um, it's the same thing. I think I missed that on cars. Let's go back up here under automobiles. Oh, I did. I totally missed insurance. Okay. So some of you might be paying 
your insurance every six months because you get a, a break when you do that. Um, or if you're paying, let's say that you're paying every six months. You take whatever your six month payment is, you divide it by six months to know how much per month you're paying for your insurance. And you start putting that away. What's insurance? My mind's going blank. 135. Okay, 135 a month? Okay, that's because you're young. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's because I Michigan. That's, oh, yeah, it's that too. Believe me. Although when, when my son went to California to go to school, the insurance is even more out in California. So it was like crazy. Huh? When you, yes, but you probably moved it to California insurance. He's still using our car. So, and it's ours. It's not his. So we're, it's Michigan insurance covering California. That was expensive. But he has not paid us for the car, so he doesn't get it yet. <laughs> he wants the car. I said, okay, when you pay for it, until then, it's ours. Okay, anyway. All right, so your mortgage payment. What's a mortgage? I haven't had a mortgage payment in so long, I don't even know. Um, 700. All right, we'll put down 700. Um, now, we, I should talk about this too. Um, if you're going to do a mortgage payment, if you're going to take a mortgage loan, Make sure that you have 20% down. They will give you a loan for less than 20%. I know that, but that's not, it's not smart. Um, that's how come so many people got upside down on their loans because they took, uh, they took the max they could and then when their home values dropped, they owed more than they could get out of their house. And that's just a bad place to put yourself. So make sure before you get a loan that you have saved up your 20%. When you do that, you don't have to pay PMI insurance, property mortgage insurance, and that saves you even more. If you have that 20% down, they won't charge you that extra fee. So, yeah. So, PMI has something else. This is a housing house right now. Mm -hmm. And um, they offer us 20% and another 5% down. So, we have just have to use this today. 40% or 5%? Do the twenty percent. If you can, if you can possibly afford it, do the twenty percent. It will save you money. Yeah, PMI. It's not, but again, uh, the other reason is because you don't want to get yourself in a in a position where, if anything were to happen to the housing market, and you needed to move, you would owe more than you would get on the house. Like, let's say, let's say you take, let's say the house is right now, you're, you're purchasing it for 100000 and they're going to give you a mortgage for 950000 And the market goes down, and you can sell the house for 800000 but you still owe 950000 on it. So you walk away from the house, you still have to pay that mortgage company another $150,000 for a house that you don't even own anymore. Because housing markets go up and down. And if you don't, we don't know what the future holds. So if the housing market goes down, you don't want to be in a place where you still owe money on a house you don't even have. So I would really, really, if you can at all afford the 20% down, I would go for that. Okay, so anyway, uh, if you don't have a mortgage, if you're doing rent instead, you'd put that on this line. 
here's other things, you know, your lawn care, your maintenance, your pest control, your condo dues, whatever payments you might have. I don't know. You just put it down there. Then your kids, um, you know, if you're working, you're going to have to, I'm, I know I'm running out of time. Yeah. You have child care, you have whatever those costs are, you put them down. And then personal care, you know, and this is where you go back to that original thing where you subtract for 30 days. How much did I spend on shampoo and dishwasher detergent and fabric softener and toilet paper? You know, you don't know that until you start tracking it. And then you say, well, this is how much I spent in one month. So I'm going to put that down on my budget. Now, a budget is fluid, especially when you're starting out. You have to have start someplace. But you go two or three months and you find that you're way off on your figure. So you, you do some adjusting. But let's get down here. Uh, you know, pet stuff, shopping things. I'm just, there's so much on here. Travel, miscellaneous. Okay. So we put in that I was making 3000 right now. Oh, I'm doing really good. We're only spending $2,700 a month. That's amazing. It's probably not going to be that way when you actually sit down and do it. You're going to find that your living expenses are more than what your income is. And you're going to say, okay, where can we start trimming? And then you start trimming where you can. You really want that bottom surplus or deficit to be as close to zero as you can or, or you know, into the positive. That's great because that 295 we can start putting into savings, right? Okay, so we did it real quick. Let's go through and just look at how we did close to their suggested guidelines. So um, we were at 20% on tithes and offerings. They suggested 12, so we're over on that. Taxes, oh, we're right at 15%. So you can just kind of look how close am I to the guideline. Um, those are just guidelines. It's just to help you when you're getting started on making a budget. But I like it because it does all the additions for you. So then what you're going to do is you're going to go back and the next month, you're going to go ahead and you're going to keep tracking your spending as you're doing it. And then you come down to the end of the month and you're going to see how close you came to your budget. Now, that's one way of doing it. That's kind of following what happened. The best way of doing it, and they call this the envelope system, is at the beginning of the month, you take whatever you said in your budget. So let's say that you said you were going to spend... $120, and I'm not going to use that one because that one would go into savings. Okay, for groceries, you said I'm going to, so you put $300 in an envelope. And as the month goes, you spend the money. And when the money's gone, you stop. Or you have to start taking it out of another envelope. Because when you live on cash, you're much more disciplined. Um, we have a tendency, when we just track it, it's like, oh, well, I went over. You know, but you want to stop before you go over. You Now, like I said, when you're starting out, this is going to be flexible, and you're going to find that the number that you gave yourself wasn't realistic. So you have to do some adjusting. But that's all it takes. That's really the most basic. Um, so here's the percentages. So anyway, as you see down here, it has all these different things to help you. And I got all of that from this page, um, the Compass Budget, right here. Okay. No, that's from this website. Yeah, it downloads it. You just fill it all in. It's already there. That was compass1.org. Do I have it on that page? Yes. Okay. Whew. All right. I was hoping I did. 
All right. Um, how, oh, shoot, I have so much more I want to say. 15, 15. Okay, and he has a few more minutes at the end. Um, so, um, now there are budgeting apps, and I want to show you just a few of them. There's one that's called Mint, and it it's free. This is a free one. There's a lot of apps that you can spend money on, <coughs> but I like the free ones. And Mint is actually a really good one. Um, you can use it on your phone, and it will actually link to your credit cards. It will link to your bank statement. It will link to all of that stuff. Um, and I don't know if I put this. Actually, I think I put this web page on your sheet as well. Um, the thing that's nice is that it actually does all of those um, calculations for you, but it puts things in the category it thinks it goes into. So it does require a little tweaking. Sometimes, you know, it'll say this was for shopping, yes, especially like um, uh, we get gas at Walmart at our local place. And because it's Walmart, a lot of times it'll put it into my shopping category. And I have to go back and say, no, that was gas. So sometimes, and there's a place on there you can do it. It takes a little bit of a learning curve, but I like this one as far as free apps go. This is a good one. Um, I did not give you this um, website. But this website goes through a lot of different apps, um, and it rates them, and it tells you how much they cost and what they provide and what they don't. So if you're wanting to check out different apps, um, this is another one that I have not tried, but this is the next one I'm going to be trying, is you need a budget. Um, it costs a little bit of money, but they say it's even closer to the actual envelope system as far as budgeting goes. All right. I want to leave time for questions at the end, but there's one more thing I want to show you. Now, if you are already in debt, and I know that some of us are, and you're needing help with that, um, going back to the Compass One website, and I told you I was going to come back to that under resources, there's debt. They have resources here to help you get out of debt. Um, debt repayment tool, showing you how, how fast your debt will go away if you, how much extra you can put on in a month. Um, there's also, if you're really, really far in debt and you're really needing help, this is where I would go. It's Christian Credit Counselors, and they, can, they will help walk you through getting out of debt. And they do work um, some with um, debt collection agencies. They will help to fight for you. Um, and I like it because they're Christian. Um, so if you're really seriously needing help climbing out of a huge hole, Christian credit counselors, huh? Is that I don't believe so. I believe it's free. Um, I, it's a free consultation at least. Um, I've never actually used them, but I know that, uh, um, no, that they do cost. Um, we listen to many matters on the on the radio all the time, and this is the one that they recommend, and I trust them. But this one here is a nice one. It's called Snowball Your Debt. Um, we all need some motivation, and if we have a number of different debts that we're trying to get out of, they say to list all your debts, take the smallest debt, and put all of your extra onto that debt until you pay it off. Then take the payment that you were making on that debt 
and put it with the other debts. And now keep up on all of your payments. I don't, I don't say stop any of your payments. Do all of your minimum payments. But then once you pay off the smallest debt, use that minimum payment that you were making and add it to your next smallest debt. So now you're putting more on that than the minimum. Because every time you put more on it than the minimum, you're getting out quicker. And then when that debt's paid off, take the minimum from the first debt and the second debt and add it to the third debt. So that's what we call snowballing. And the, the nice thing is that you can actually start seeing some progress. You can see one debt being cleared and another one being cleared. And if you're struggling with debt, the best thing you can do is to freeze your assets. Take your credit cards and stick them in the freezer in a bucket of water so you can't use them. <laughs> you, I, I, I'm just, because you can pay it off and then you can get yourself right back in debt. And we don't want to go there. So best thing is just to cut them up and throw them away. Um, it, and, you know, I told my kids when they were trying to get their credit established, I said, you can have a credit card, but the first month you cannot pay it off, you destroy it. You have to promise me that. If you'll pay it off every month, it's a good way to, to build credit. But the very first month that you cannot pay the whole thing off, you get rid of your credit card. And I made them promise me that. Okay. Um, Bob has a couple things and then we'll take questions. Okay. Sorry. So Let me get back to... Uh, I'll get it back here. Okay. So, you know, honestly, there's some things that you can do to try and do what's... Oh, wait, wait, wait. You need this. And one of those things is that um, invest in your marriage. Because if you've ever been through a divorce, uh, you know that those attorney's fees cost a lot of money. And um, generally, ladies don't come out very favorably. Usually they're much more financially difficult after the divorce than uh, before. So, so definitely it pays to take advantage of. We have uh, marriage retreat weekends here. So once every two years, you should go. Uh, read a book. My wife and I are for date day, and we do have date days. So um, we grab a marriage book, and we read it, and we have a great time. So we're always doing that investing because, in yeah, investing in our marriage. Another thing is health. I mean, um, take it, care of yourself. Yeah, get, get out, out there, and exercise. Exercise. For myself, yeah, I used to do triathlons, and then I got my knee in trouble. So I began not to be able to run anymore, and I couldn't bike anymore. It's like, what am I doing? Because it's really hard to change from eating the amount that you ate then to cutting back down. So I had to learn how to do the same thing. I had to do a budget with calories. I had to actually figure out how many calories I'm taking in and how many I'm spending, and I had to cut back on what I was eating to match what I was putting out. So I lost 25, 30 pounds doing that, and I'm glad for that. Savings. Um, it was interesting. Ellen White said, you know, when you get a paycheck, she talked about always putting something aside. Always putting something aside. So we should be in the habit of putting uh, money aside. Sometimes we're going to talk about the fund that you put in for emergencies and all that stuff yeah. for future okay, times. Okay, so this we talked already about Proverbs 21.5, but I really like this other version of it. It's uh, TLB, and I can't remember what it is right now, but it says, Steady plotting brings prosperity. But hasty speculation brings poverty. It's basically the same thing, just in a, a, a cute little way. But steady plotting on your savings. And we're going to show you a chart that, oh, wait. Yep. Let's see that one. Okay. I don't know if you can see this. Watch out, watch out. Okay. So this is somebody, we have two different scenarios. They're both at 10% interest. Everything else is the same, which we can't get. So it's not totally realistic, but it shows you what happens.
So this first one, when they got out of college and they started working at 23, they put in $1,000. The second year, they're age 24, they put in 2,000. Then they put in 3,000 for the next eight years. 10 years, they put away as savings. They put away $27,000 in 20 years. Then from that moment on, they did not do any more savings, which I don't recommend, but this is for illustration purposes, okay? The other person waited 10 years to start. They didn't start until they were 33 instead of 23. They put in $3,000 every year from them until when they retired at age 67. They put in a whole, total of $105,000 because they did $3,000 every year from then on. But I want you to look at the value of their investments at the end, at age 67. The person who only saved for 10 years has $1,157,000. The person who started 10 years later but put in way more only has $820,000. That's the benefit of compounding. So when you're talking about compounding interest, that means the interest that you make starts making interest. And then the, it, that interest makes interest. And so it just keeps growing. And this, the first time I saw this, this shocked me. And it's a little bit extreme because it's 10%. And you really can't get 10% on the market anymore. It's more like 7 to 8%. But there have been, there have been periods of times where it was 15%. I don't know. But the point is you want to start early and you want to be consistent it makes a lot more difference than starting late. And so a lot of people, their early years in life, they're just living life, you know, and finally they get 40 or 50. It's like, oh, we should start saving for retirement. You know what? It's really late at that point to start saving. You can, you still can, but it's going to be a lot harder. So you want to start saving early. So um, there are some traps also that you have to avoid. One of them is gambling. Gambling is a trap that will just leach you out. It's geared to basically, I remember I was taking a class in, in uh, college, and the math teacher said, you will lose if you gamble. Just bottom line, you're going to lose. But if you want to do entertainment and go gambling, he says, I usually take a few, whatever, $1,500, whatever. I know I'm going to lose it. It's all for fun and entertainment. So I mean, That's it's expensive just, entertainment, yeah. in my opinion. So gambling is tough. I remember one of the nurses up there in Canada, right along the border when we were in, in Montana, uh, she was going through a divorce because her husband had an addictive gambling habit that just totally, all their assets were gone. Everything in the house was being sold off to pay bills, and he wouldn't quit. He just thought, if I could just get one lucky break, just one lucky break. And, you know, that um, kind of goes back to um, this one. Gambling is because you're wanting hasty speculation. You want to get rich quick. That's really the lure, just... I, I, you know, it, it, it's so easy. All I have to do is just one win and boy, I'm made. But that's not, you know, God talks about steady plotting. He talks about work. And we want to get rich without working. That, that's not the way God intended it. Work is to, for our benefit. So the other one is secrets. If you're married in a situation like that, if you are cheating on the budget by buying things without telling your husband and just letting it accrue, Sooner or later, it's going to come out. Sooner or later, it's going to come out. I love the book by uh, Mary Hunt. It's called Debt Proof Your Marriage, and she called it financial adultery. That's where you're being unfaithful to your spouse. You've done a budget. You agree to the terms, but then you're cheating on the side. And in the end, it's going to bankrupt you. Um, so, what so what do we do? Yeah, so we made an agreement yeah. that we would never right. buy anything 
Oh, I don't know. It was like 500? No, it was 50. It's 50. It's 50. You know, okay. Anything over 50 bucks, I'd be in communication with her about it. We, we just so. don't make any big purchases without both of us being in agreement. And I'm telling you, that saves you from so many mistakes because there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. And sometimes it's like, oh, I really like that. And Bob's saying, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. Or he's, oh, I really like that. And I'm like, you know, we balance each other out. And it, it saves us a lot of money. Sure does. Okay. Um, <coughs> oh, we've given you so much, and we only have about three minutes late, uh, left. Is there any questions, uh, especially on budgeting? Any questions? Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for the wisdom you've given your word um, and just the privilege of being stewards of what you've entrusted to us. And Lord, as we seek to be faithful, you've promised if we're faithful in little things, you will make us ruler of much. So help us to be faithful in even the little things so that we can honor and glorify your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.